Amrita Hector Amala Yashaha Glory Shravana Hearing Avagaho Entering into Sajaha Immediately Bonati purifies Jagat the universe Asva Pachat including even the dog eaters without anxiety Saha that person Aham I am Bhavadya from you, Upalabdha, obtained, Sutirta, the best place of pilgrimage, Kirtihi, the fame, Chindyam, would cut off, Swabahum, my own arm, Upi, even. Uh, toward you, Pratikula Britim, acting inimically. Translation and purport by His Divine Grace, <coughs> our Savior and Savior of the world, Srila Prabhupada. Anyone in the entire world, even down to the Chanda, who lives by cooking and eating the flesh of the dog is immediately purified if he takes bath and hearing through the ear the glorification of my name, fame, etc. Now you have realized me without doubt. Therefore, I will not hesitate to lop off my own arm if its conduct is found hostile to you. Please repeat. Anyone in the entire world, Anyone in the entire world. even down to the Chandala, who lives by cooking and eating the flesh of the dog is immediately purified if he takes bath in hearing through the ear the glorification of my name, fame, etc. Now you have realized me without doubt. Therefore, I will not hesitate to lop off my own arm. Therefore, I will not hesitate to lop off my own arm. If its conduct is found hostile to you. If its conduct is found hostile to you. Purport. Real purification can take place in human society if its members take to Krishna consciousness. This is clearly stated in all Vedic literature. Anyone who takes to Krishna consciousness in all sincerity even if he is not very advanced in good behavior, is purified. A devotee can be recruited from any section of human society, although it is not expected that everyone in all segments of society is well-behaved. As stated in this verse, and in many places in Bhagavad Gita, even if one is not born in a Brahmana family, or even if he is born in a family of Chandalas, if he simply takes to Krishna consciousness, he is immediately purified. 
in Bhagavad Gita, ninth chapter, verses 30 through 32, it is clearly stated that even though a man is not well behaved, if he simply takes to Krishna consciousness, he is understood to be a saintly person. As long as a person is in this material world, he has two different relationships in his dealings with others. One relationship pertains to the body, and the other pertains to the spirit. As far as bodily affairs or social activities are concerned, although a person is purified on the spiritual platform, it is sometimes seen that he acts in terms of his bodily relationships. If a devotee born in the family of a Chandala, the lowest caste, is sometimes found engaged in his habitual activities, he is not to be considered a Chandal. In other words, a Vaishnava should not be evaluated in terms of his body. The Shastra states that no one should think the deity in the temple to be made of wood or stone. And no one should think that a person coming from a lower caste family who has taken to Krishna consciousness is still of the same low caste. These attitudes are forbidden because anyone who takes to Krishna consciousness is understood to be fully purified. He is at least engaged in the process of purification. And if he sticks to the principle of Krishna consciousness, he will very soon be fully purified. The conclusion is that if one takes to Krishna consciousness with all seriousness, he is to be understood as already purified, and Krishna is ready to give him protection by all means. The Lord assures herein that he is ready to give protection to his devotee, even if there is need to cut off part of his own body. And you know, the Lord has a Sudarshan Chakra, that he's quite capable of slicing and dicing, should he so choose. <laughs> but we do not see this particular requirement having to necessarily be met in the Lord's Leela in his pastimes. But nonetheless, he makes the statement uh, in order to show. Uh, the links that he will go to in order to give protection to and maintain uh, the sanctity of his devotee. So uh, this is Krishna's commitment to the devotees. Krishna has a very big commitment he gives to the devotees. And of course, he also... Uh, requires the devotees give a very big commitment to him. What is that big commitment? Sarva Dharman Prijaja. Mami Kam Just forget all your concepts and attachments. And Mam Ekam Shodanam Praja. Unto me, Mam Ekam. Only. Eka means one. Mam ekam shadanam vraja. And exclusively take shelter of me. That Krishna is ordering the living entities in Bhagavad Gita. It is not a polite request. Oh, if you don't mind, could you please surrender to me? No. 
Sarva Dharman Parichita. This is an order of the Lord. So it is rather a um, all-encompassing order that requires all-encompassing commitment. So therefore, Krishna, he's saying that you give your commitment to me, and then ahang tong sarva papi you, whatever your sinful karma that you have accumulated, that's waiting to pounce upon you and make you suffer, uh, I will save you from that. Ahang tong sarva papi you. Don't worry about it. I got it. I got it. I got this one. So, um, therein lies the heart of Krishna consciousness, understood in a nutshell, the reciprocation between the devotee and the Lord. There's one purport in the seventh canto, where Srila Prabhupada says that, and this is in the section of Prahlad Maharaj, who was undergoing so much torture and abuse by Hiranyakashipu, but he was not concerned about that because he was always just taking shelter of Krishna. And Hiranyakashipu tried his level best, which was very thorough and detailed, to eliminate Prahlad Maharaj, to, to rub him out completely, to finish him, because he became so angry and envious that Prahlad was a devotee of Krishna, whom Hiranyakashipu considered the Lord to be his sworn enemy. But Prahlad was not affected or disturbed by the tortures that Hiranyakashipu so expertly arranged to subject him to. And neither was he affected by them. They were, they'd had no potency to hinder him, to disturb him, or to injure him. I mean, imagine being thrown in a pit of poisonous snakes and there's no problem, like in the old cowboy movies where they, they throw the guy down in the pit of the snakes and they're all crawling around. Certain death. Or to be stomped underfoot by wild, maddened elephants. Couldn't get him. Somehow, miraculously, they missed every time when they tried to stomp. Or being thrown off a cliff. You see the illustration in the Bhagavatam Prahlad is caught by Krishna. He's there catching him at the bottom of the cliff. Normally you throw someone off a big tall cliff, you know, that's about it. <laughs> You're done for. Uh, but not in this case. So in every case, uh, through these various tortures, he, he fed him poison. But Prahlad offered the poison to Krishna and became prashad. So therefore he was enlightened and nourished by taking prashad and not poisoned. So it may seem like a fantastical, unbelievable story, but such is the mercy of the Lord. 
and such is the t- determination of the non-devotees to impede the activities of the devotee. Because Prahlad Maharaj was engaged in what? Hearing and chanting and teaching the other boys in the school, uh, preaching to them about Krishna consciousness and engaging them in kirtan. <laughs> it's pretty bold having the kirtan in the big demon school. Of course, we do that. We go out to the demon school and have kirtan. The University of Arizona is not known as a bastion uh, of teaching of Vaishnava philosophy, let us say. Actually, quite the opposite. It's a place where materialistic science is revered and worshipped as the highest knowledge. Is it not? It is. <laughs> so, but Prahlad Maharaj, he is fully committed to his Lord, Krishna, regardless of the circumstance, and he was put through quite a bit. So Prabhupada says in this one purport that the devotee, his attitude towards Krishna is he sticks with Krishna through thick and thin. So, <coughs> like there was one country and western song when I was young. The line was, I beg your pardon. I never promised you a rose garden. So, um, Krishna doesn't say in Bhagavad Gita that you surrender to me and I promise you a rose garden. (laughs) And everything will be very easy. No problem. Just a walk in the park. He doesn't say that. So, the Vaishnavas understand that the path of Krishna consciousness is not an easy path. The process itself is simple and one can take to it directly. But that doesn't mean that it's just going to be a piece of cake. There will be many uh, obstacles. There will be many tests. There is much to go through on the path of purification and the road back home, back to Godhead. Because to get back home, back to Godhead, uh, requires the full purification and giving up of all desires for sense gratification. So, one element of that path of surrender and becoming purified, did I say purified? I meant purified. Purified or purely fried. (laughs) Uh, (coughs) One of the uh, steps along the path is anarta near vritti shat. So anarta means unwanted things. We have so many unwanted things lying within the heart. Lust, anger, greed, uh, attachment to being the enjoyer, the owner and the controller. And these are impediments to pure devotion, to pure love for Krishna. Because as long as the heart has these contaminants, these pollutants, 
uh, afflicting it, then that pure love for Krishna cannot be properly manifest and expressed. So these things are obstacles, stumbling blocks. Of course, that it, it, it boils down. What it boils down to is that we are attached to the stumbling blocks, to the impure things, and that is the characteristic of the conditioned soul. And he's attached to his his uh, his bag of ill-gotten gain. Lust, anger, greed, all this bad association that we've uh, partaken of in our billions and billions of lifetime journey to this point, we're still carrying with us. Um, so, anarta nirbriti shat means that uh, these anartas, nirbriti, they are eliminated. They are given up. The unwanted thing. Nasta preishu abadreishu. All these uh, unwanted, dirty things within their heart, within our hearts, nasta uh, preishu abadreishu are eliminated by the process of Krishna consciousness, which is purification or elevation. So it's mentioned here in this verse that. One may take to Krishna consciousness coming from any position. It doesn't mean that everyone who takes to Krishna consciousness is coming from the highest Brahminical platform where they're very cultured and clean and pure-hearted. And this whole idea of Varnashram can be uh, evaluated. You have a Brahmana, Kshatriya, Vaishya, and Shudra. So what are the distinctions of these qualities that one acquires? It's the actual distinctions are based upon one's level of Krishna consciousness. Uh, the more evolved one is in terms of Krishna consciousness, then also the more evolved one is in terms of the modes of nature, becoming freer and freer from the lower modes of passion and ignorance where just about everyone dwells in the real world. Uh, not only these days, right in the prime of the Kali Yuga, but in all cases, uh, the tendency is there to be, uh, without the purification that you find built into the Vedic culture, uh, the tendency is to be Absorbed in the modes of nature, even the great men, the great people in history, you know, George Washington and Thomas Jefferson and Napoleon and King George and all these great historical figures, uh, they're malechus who are situated within the modes of nature. Although some may rise up um, and be more noble in their spirit, for example, if you examine Say, let's take, for example, Thomas Jefferson. Although he was a person who was clearly uh, influenced by the modes of passion and ignorance, there was for him some glimpse of a higher truth, a higher justice for humanity. And um, based on those 
free thinking principles of humanity. They wanted to form a country that's based on something higher than just the rule of might. Formerly you had monarchy, um, but that was within the context of a, the Vedic system of checks and balances. The Chhatris were in control, they were the kings, they had absolute power, yes. But they were subject uh, to the advice and even censure of the Brahmanas. And in the case of, for example, King Vena, he was an out of control demoniac king. And finally, he was removed by the Brahmanas. They chanted some mantras and killed him to remove him and stop him from his heinous activities because he was irreligious. Even though he was the king, the king who was called Naradev, like a god among men. We see that, you see that like in the ancient Egyptians, the king was considered as God. So also in the Vedic culture, the king was considered as God because he was the representative of God. He had that, he was empowered with that ability to rule over men, but justly and wisely and based on religious principles. Whereas in contradistinction, you take like the, uh, the popes during the, uh, the dark ages and the middle ages, they were supposed to be representatives of God, yet they were cruel and avaricious men who were not purified and do, did all kinds of nonsense, mostly for political power and money, um, <clears throat> in complete disregard of their position as supposedly the spiritual master of their religious flock. So that's Kali Yuga for you. What do you expect? Therefore, um, monarchy was thrown out in the Kali Yuga because no one could trust the monarchs. Um, with that absolute power of the king comes absolute responsibility, but no one is pure enough to have that responsibility. They're all selfish, cheaters, rulers, rascals. Indeed, it's, it's stated in the 12th canto of the Bhagavatam that um, as the Kali Yuga progresses, the rulers will just be rogues and thieves, exploiting the people for their own sense gratification. And we see this is the very definition of a modern politician. Uh, trying to rule over the people and exploit them in order to gain advantageous power, position, prestige, money, profit, for oneself, purely for one's sense gratification. So therefore, you see that the, uh, the uh, approval rating of the President of the United States is not very high, and the approval rating of Congress is even lower, <coughs> because it's all about the money. What do the legislators spend all their time doing? Writing legislation, protecting the people? No, they spend all their time raising money to stay in office, making phone calls, visiting, you know, civic meetings, town halls, uh, they go to factories and plants where they're inaugurating some new product. And so they, they spend all their time actually raising money uh, to keep their power in their position and very little time actually doing any legislative work. 
This is kind of a well-known fact. The leaders of our democracy, which Prabhupada called demon crazy. So it's supposed to be democracy ruling by the people, but actually it is demon crazy. The demon's gone crazy. And Prabhupada used the word pandemonium. And the word pandemonium, usually one thinks of just chaos. But actually, if you examine the Latin roots of the word pandemonium, demonium means demons, pan means everywhere. Pandemonium, there's demons everywhere. <laughs> so naturally the result of demons everywhere is chaos, like every man for himself. You know, the biggest dog that can get the most votes and has the biggest bark and the biggest bite becomes the most powerful, the leader of the pack. So there's some nice verses in the ninth chapter of the Bhagavad Gita. Oh, but before we get to that, there's one verse I want to quote that I've been dying to quote for days. But I realize if I quote it in the comment section at the end of the class, then I lose my thunder and I no longer have it available in my class. But this is a verse that has been crying out to me um, to be referred to in this section because Krishna, he is so concerned about the situation and welfare of his devotees. And he even says in this in the previous shloka, yesterday's verse, that if my servants do something, then it's as if I did it myself. I'm fully culpable. I accept that responsibility. That's another thing the leaders in Kali Yuga don't do. They don't accept responsibility for their actions. They just flush it off and try to blame somebody else because they have no honor and no morality. But Krishna has, is the supreme honorable and the supreme moralist. So he says, because my doorkeepers, they offended you, it's just like I offended you myself, personally. So I have to rectify this. So this is a verse from the ninth canto that is spoken by Lord Narayan to Durvasa Muni. Now we know that Durvasa Muni, he liked to pick quarrels with devotees. And then he picked a quarrel with Ambarish Maharaj, who was completely innocent and faultless and blameless. And as a result of that, he was chased by the Sudarshan Chakra all over the universe. And uh, it was right on his tail. He could feel it burning him. So he went to the Lord in Vaikuntha and said, you know, please call off your Sudarshan Chakra. It is burning me. And the Lord said, well, I cannot do anything to help you because you have committed an offense to my devotee. Therefore, it is not within my power to stop the Sudarshan Chakra from chastising you. Rather, you have to go to my devotee whom you have offended and beg forgiveness at his lotus feet, which Durvath Muni did, ultimately. So the Lord was explaining the relationship he has with his devotees. And he spoke this verse, which is a very amazing verse. And uh, this is a verse that is very dear to the Vaishnavas, but is not understood by 
other Vedic philosophers who are not Vaishnavas. But this is the Lord expressing his commitment to his devotees. Sadavo hridayam mayam, sadunam hridayam tvaham, mananyate nijananti naham thigyo managapi. So Krishna is saying, Sadavo hridayam mayam, the devotee, all of the devotees, the sadhus, they are in my heart. Sadavo hridayam mayam. So the very heart of God is the residence of the devotees. That is how dear the devotees are to the Lord. Sadunam hridayam toham. And I am in the hearts of my devotees. So here Krishna is revealing this very intimate relationship that he, God, the Lord, has with the devotees. It is a very intimate relationship. They are my heart. And I am their hearts. So, uh, this is the position of devotional service. You have this relationship between the devotee, the bhakta, the Lord, Bhagavan, and their exchange of love, bhakti. So, that is the essence of Krishna consciousness. Now, Sometimes in the material world, not sometimes, all the time, there are different difficulties and situations. Even we try to take to Krishna consciousness, but we bring our purva karma, our baggage with us. And we are trying to be Krishna conscious, but sometimes those um, qualities and characteristics, those unwanted things, they pop up and they rear their ugly heads. Uh, no surprise there, by the way. If you were surprised that someone's a narcissist, may sometimes reveal themselves, uh, you should not be. <laughs> uh, Prabhupada said one time, said, said we, we're not surprised when sometimes somebody leaves. We're just surprised that sometimes somebody stays. <laughs> Because to be a devotee in this world means to go directly against the current of the material energy. And therefore the non-devotees can never understand Krishna consciousness uh, unless they get the mercy of a devotee and take to Krishna consciousness. Punak punas charvita charvanaman. Because of having taken a vow to enjoy this material world, that's called griha brata. So the devotees have taken the dritha brata to become Krishna conscious and serve the Lord. And the non devotees have taken the griha brata, the, the, the vow to enjoy this material world. And when I became a devotee, I referred to this before, but I'll mention it again. My father was very concerned that I was giving up the Grihabrata and taking up the Dridhabrata. Because why are you working just for God? You have to take your slice of the pie. <laughs> you got to get what's for you, number one. 
And that is the griha brata. I am number one. Everything is meant for my enjoyment. But Krishna consciousness means the dritha brata, the determined vow to serve Krishna for the pleasure of Krishna, for the benefit of Krishna, and not for my own benefit. I'm not serving Krishna because I think, yeah, you know, this is cool. I got access to God and I can just get anything I want now. Because many religions think like that. They think if they make a little sacrifice to God, they get a big, big reward. It's like the ultimate investment. You give a buck, you get back a million bucks. You know, sign me up. I want that million bucks. But the devotee is serving Krishna for the pleasure and the benefit of Krishna. Now, it is a fact. Make no mistake and rest assured that by serving Krishna, everything, all your desires will become fulfilled in such a fantastic way that you never would have even dreamed. But one thing is that you will give up your desires to become the enjoyer. And you'll just want to serve Krishna. And you'll be Krishna will give you opportunities to serve him in so many ways that are so wonderful and fantastic that you never would have dreamed it possible. I never would have dreamed it possible uh, to be so fortunate as to be part of the Krishna consciousness movement and to uh, live the life of Krishna consciousness, which is so wonderful and so free from the uh, burden of karmic activity. Such a relief, simply that. What to speak of all the wonderful activities and opportunities to be in devotional service with other devotees who are similarly striving. It is the most wonderful thing. It is beyond my wildest dreams. Because I had these ideas when I was a teenager. You know, I could go live on the like the perfect island in the Pacific with the perfect weather and the perfect beach and the perfect fruit trees and surrounded by beautiful, loving, perfect people. Well, guess what? It ain't like that. Most of these islands you go to, they're populated by a bunch of villagers who are like busy slaughtering pigs, and you know, not very elevated in terms of culture, philosophy, or their, even their material culture and their lifestyle and their habits. So you go there and you'll see you know, a bunch of educated people, uh, uneducated people who are just grubbing out their daily existence and who have no thought of the higher goals and the higher values of life. Um, so even though I never went to those islands, I saw a National Geographic channel. <laughs> <laughs> what life was like there. Uh, So I came to the Krishna Conscious Movement and I decided to give up the island theory, the perfect island, because it just doesn't really exist. Um, but then I heard about another island, the uh, spiritual planets floating in the spiritual sky. And there, everyone is Krishna Conscious. And there, no one dies, no one grows old, no one gets sick, no one hassles you. You don't have to um, 
respond to, you know, jury duty or taxes or all the things that cause us anxiety in this so-called real world. Because that is the real world. That is the place we are from. So, meanwhile, back down here on planet Earth, we're struggling so hard, as mentioned in Bhagavad Gita, with the mind and the six senses. And that way the world is going around and around and around and around the conditioned souls. But it is worth the struggle to become Krishna conscious. It is so worth it. Actually, if you consider in terms of value, in terms of money spent, money or energy or endeavor, investment, in terms of the amount of investment we put into Krishna consciousness and what we get back out of it, it's a no-brainer. I mean, you'd be a fool not to invest yourself in Krishna consciousness. You'd be a fool, which is what everyone is. He doesn't. The whole world is going on. Everyone's a fool, thinking I'm the enjoyer. Meanwhile, they're getting slammed uh, mercilessly by Maya. Raise your hand if you've ever been slammed mercilessly by Maya. <laughs> you didn't raise your hand? <coughs> We've all been mercilessly slammed by Maya in so many ways. <coughs> so enough of that. Take to Krishna consciousness. So here I'm going to read a couple of verses in conclusion from the ninth chapter, which Prabhupada refers to here, that anyone can take to Krishna consciousness and um, it doesn't matter from what point one comes, no matter how far down in the modes. Even he mentions the Chandalas, who slice open the dogs and, and get the flesh and cook it and eat it. And we think, oh, that is so horrible, killing the dogs and eating the flesh. But how long ago was it that some of us were killing the cow and eating the flesh? So there, but by the grace of God, go I. And we thought nothing of that, although we may not personally have gotten the knife and slit the cow's throat and harvested the meat. But someone is doing that, and there is a chain of culpability. So if you're on the end of that chain, which is eating the meat, you are equally implicated in the conspiracy. Just like in a murder conspiracy, if someone takes part in the conspiracy, they're equally subject to the death penalty for because of the murder and they were part of it. They were complicit and willing and plotting. So when you eat the meat, you pay for it, you cook it, you eat it. All these people implicated the same. So what is worse, the dog eater or the cow killer? Actually, the cow killer is far worse <laughs> because it's an important animal for the cultivation of spiritual culture in human society. So if you have to kill something, go go eat the dogs. You know, we won't object. We won't object too much. Imagine them opening a dog restaurant, dog burgers. Some parts of the world that's very desirable. So a devotee takes to Krishna consciousness. Striyuvaisha um, stata shudras tepi yanti parampitim. 
Krishna says, Mami part of your Pashita, those who take shelter of me. Ye Pishu, Papa Yoniha, regardless of their birth. Papa Yoni, Papa means sin and Yoni means birth. So even coming from a sinful birth, which means birth in a family of cow eaters, cow slaughterers. Um, strio, strio, Vaishas, Tatashidras, even those who are not higher caste, be they women or Vaishas or Shudras, um, they can approach me and take shelter. Tepiyanti Paramgatim, they can approach the supreme destination. Paramgatim, that means going back home, back to Godhead. So, take heart, all you Striyo, Vaisha, Tata, Shudra category people, which is all of us, um, or Shudra or lower than Shudra. I mean, we're most of us coming from the Malecha culture, which means not even Shudra. Not even Chandal, just completely outside the Vedic paradigm, Malecha, uh, unpurified, sinful culture. That is our proud Western heritage. <clears throat> so another verse here, that's a wonderful verse. And Krishna says, just in the previous verse, um, we were hearing about this yesterday that Krishna claims that uh, O son of Kuti declare it boldly that my devotee never perishes because, why does he never perish because Krishna gives him protection so if we take shelter of Krishna, that means that Krishna will protect us and our Krishna consciousness will never be lost. Okay, one more verse. Let's see here. Yes, a little bit earlier, 9.22. Krishna, again, makes another promise to the devotees. Anayas chintayanto mam ye janaha this has always been a very favorite verse of mine. Krishna says, Those who worship me with devotion, those who properly worship me, um, means uh, undeviating focus. Tesham nitya biyuktanam, always fixed in devotion. Yoga kshema bahamiham. I will preserve what they have and carry what they lack. So this is a very nice statement by Krishna. He's saying that I know what you lack, but I take up the slack. So he's got us covered, even though we have so much imperfection and so much disqualification in terms of our sinful proclivities from our previous lifetimes, our Purva karma. So we will stop here. Thank you all for paying attention and ask for any realizations or questions. That's uh, the first word of that verse is
it's, it's the price to get covered. And then the ash. Exclusive, exclusive devotion. Not divine devotion. It's not a cheap thing. Yeah, it's a price to pay. Yeah. A small price to pay. <laughs> you think about it, though. Yeah. I mean, by by giving our heart to Krishna, we are not the loser, but we are the gainer millions and billions and trillions of times over. That is a type of wealth that one cannot purchase any other way other than by giving oneself. There's a great, uh, about the, the people complicit in the, in the slaughter act, the conspiracy. Uh, Emerson, who was a vegetarian, he once wrote, uh, you have just dined, and however scrupulously the slaughterhouse is concealed in the graceful distance of miles, there is complicity. <laughs> You're the last person in a conspiracy, right? Yeah, you're on the end of the yeah. food chain, but it's actually the 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 sinful chain. Anything else? Question, comment? I looked up a Malencha too. Literally in Sanskrit, Malencha means barbarian. <laughs> so barber means hair. <laughs> and from the Latin uh so Prabhupada said one time to the devotees, I have come to shave you. And the devotee said to Prabhupada, Prabhupada, you come to save us or to shave us? To shave us. And Prabhupada said, yes. <laughs> so he came to save us and he came to shave us. So we have to do seva and shava. <laughs> Both are required. It is they go together. Okay, Govindamadava, any realizations? No. No realizations. You have so many realizations. You're just not saying. <laughs> he has reflections. <laughs> All right. Will we stop here? Thank you very much. See you Prabhupada Ki. Thank uh-huh.